As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. It's a distinct pleasure today to be sitting across from Scott Eblen the author that you've heard me reference many times about overworked and overwhelmed, the mindfulness alternative. Scott is a leadership expert, a global speaker, a best-selling author, and executive coach with the Ebling Group. Scott, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Mike, it's a real pleasure to be here. And I was commenting earlier on your background and your color-coordinated holiday motif here. So it's you win the prize. <laughs> you know, my team's always trying. So we try to do a good job there. Scott, I um, have shared with my listeners many times of the impact that your book, Overworked and Overwhelmed, The Mindfulness Alternative, had on my life, as well as two others, Living Forward by Michael Hyatt and Emotionally Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro. Mm-hmm. And it's actually in that order that I read all three of them around the same period of my life when I was trying to prepare myself for the next leadership step, trying to prepare myself for the next leadership responsibility of taking over and leading my family's, at that time, 40-year-old company, now 45-year-old company. So as we approach January, we're focusing with our listeners on leadership mindset, how to clear our heads, how to set our intentions, and how to lead well. As we know, it's said often that leadership starts at the top. Also, I will share that with our listeners that when we hear that, the pressure of that that we put on ourselves and that it feels on all of us is difficult and complicated at times. So I'm excited to have you share a little bit about your journey Mm -hmm. that you've been through and then also gain your perspective that can help our listeners and our community really set our intentions and leadership mindsets right for the 2021 calendar year. Great time for the conversation. Let's go. So Scott, as you share a little bit in your book that you personally had some health complications that led you to really reset your life is the way that I've read your story a couple times. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, I think with what we've all been through over the last Mm. 10 months or so, a lot of us feel that way, whether we've hit some physical, you know, I know I had COVID in 2020 and I had to go through health tests and I just got my pulmonary test that said I don't even have asthma anymore. So I'm awesome. very excited about that. But there's a lot of people that are carrying a lot of weight with them into the new year, yeah. physically and emotionally. Can you share just a little bit with our audience of what you disclose in your book Mm-hmm. And how that has led your focus of helping other leaders lead well and lead intentionally. Yeah, yeah, be happy to, Mike. So I think what you're referring to is back in, it seems, you know, it's increasingly distant now. Back in 2009, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And that came as a real surprise to me. I was in my mid-40s, I guess, you know, at that point, and 
was never a great athlete, but was really physically active and did a lot of running. And yeah, over the course, the beginning of the of 2009, I just noticed my legs kind of feeling like lead, you know? So like I did what we all did back then, you know, all the type A's that want to keep on going. You know, I got on WebMD and I started self-diagnosing and uh, I thought, well, okay, I have lumbar stenosis. That was my self-diagnosis based on WebMD. So I went to a specialist and I walked in. I said, well, I'm pretty sure I have lumbar stenosis. You know, I'm getting these weird feelings in my legs and stuff. I just need you to tell me what to do and I'll get out of your way. And she said, well, thanks for the diagnosis, but you know, like, why don't we run some MRIs and see some what's going on in there? And so MRIs showed lesions on my spine and in my brain. And my physical condition started getting worse and worse to the point where I couldn't feel my feet on the ground. Like, like I couldn't feel the contact. And that makes it really hard to, to walk or run or anything, obviously. And it just got worse and worse. And I was diagnosed with MS after some spinal taps and some other, other procedures. And it was just this downhill slide, you know, for about a year and a half to the point where a lot of weekends and well into the weeks, I couldn't get off the couch. I mean, like I literally didn't have the energy to get up. My brain was foggy. And probably like you, you know, my, I make a living by talking with people <laughs> and writing and, and putting thoughts together. And if you can't think clearly, that's kind of scary, you know, if your livelihood depends on that. And so a friend of my wife, Diane, is a health expert, multi-degree health expert, and also a yoga instructor. And she said, well, Scott should try yoga. I, I teach it to people with MS and Parkinson's and other chronic illnesses. And I have really good outcomes. And I said, well, that's a really interesting idea, but I hardly you know, walk around the block. How am I going to do yoga? But I went and I kind of whispered to the teacher that first night what was going on. She said, well, here's the deal I'll make you. If you come here three days a week, it'll change your body. If you come here more than three days a week, it'll change your life. So I started going more than three days a week. And she was correct on both counts, right? Because the physical changes in terms of my balance and my neuromuscular connection and fatigue and energy and all of those things, they started changing pretty positively in pretty short order, really, you know, within weeks in some cases, and then better and better over months. And then the change your life part, you know, I was told by people that I live with that I was easier to live with after about a year. <laughs> you know? And so like, what's happening with that? And what I've learned since then, and what I write a lot about in Overworked and Overwhelmed is most professional people today, and certainly your, your audience and client base of CEOs and senior leaders, operate in a chronic state of fight or flight. And by that, I mean that their sympathetic nervous system is on overdrive. And the impact of that, in terms of the physiological systems in your body, like your blood pressure and your stress hormones and your your immune system, your blood clotting, a bunch of other things, they all go in the wrong direction, okay? You know, the blood pressure goes up, the immune system goes down, as an example. The stress hormones go up, the uh, digestive system goes down in terms of its performance, or growth in sex hormones drop, which lead to depression and, and premature aging and lots of other bad things. And so, that chronic fight or flight is a real thing, just like acute fight or flight is, like if we're in physical danger. The only difference is in chronic fight or flight, all of those physiological impacts are much more severe because they never go away. You know, they're just like stuck in the on switch. And 
everybody's heard of fight or flight. Very few people have heard of rest and digest. And rest and digest is your body's, the nickname for your body's parasympathetic nervous system. Another way to think about it that I learned from an author named Rick Hansen is fight or flight is your body's gas pedal. Rest and digest is your body's braking system. They need to operate in synchronicity. So now back to yoga. Why did that work so well for me? Any rhythmic repetitive routine activates the parasympathetic response. It activates the braking system and it helps you manage your stress better, right? And when you have a chronic illness, whether it's MS or anything else, you have to manage your stress really effectively. If I don't, my symptoms flare up pretty immediately with the MS. What I've learned over time and what I've, the reason I wrote the book was to share a lot about what I'd learned with my corporate clients and readers, like just like you, is you can hit the sweet spot between the gas pedal and the brakes. Let's say I never use a gas pedal. I have a, you know, a really kind of flat out business and life and everything. But I really try to weave the braking system into that all day long. What scientists call homeostasis, homeostatic balance, really, between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic response. So that's kind of geeky, but that's, does that begin to answer your question? And that led you to the tool that I have referenced often to clients of ours, the Life GPS, right? Is that Mm -hmm. where that tool was created, was coming out of that? How do you find the the perfect balance where I, you know, as I say, I said last week in a group of CEOs, you know, where are you at your best? Where you feel like you walked out of the day and said, wow, this was a great success. You completed the weekend and Mm -hmm. said, oh, I got to do everything that I do at my best this weekend, right? Can you share a little bit about the Life GPS and what led you to create that? Well, so I want to give credit where it's due. My wife and I created it. I mentioned Diane earlier. It actually predates the MS experience in the the 90s. You know, we were parents of two little boys and, you know, both working and had that kind of crazy. I think that's like one of the most stressful times in your life when you have young kids and you're both working. You're just trying to keep all the balls in the air. And we were big fans of Stephen Covey, you know, and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Read that book a lot, many times, and I love it, still do. I always found that book kind of hard to operationalize, though. It's like, there's a lot of good ideas, but like, what do I do with this? How do I put it into practice? And so we sat together for three or four weekends, probably in 1996 or seven, trying to operationalize The Seven Habits. And what we came up with was a little one pager that we ended up calling the Life GPS. And it was three questions that we asked and answered for ourselves. And in the many years since then, I've shared it with thousands of clients and I don't know how many readers at this point. But you've mentioned the first question in the Life GPS. It's how are you when you're at your best? You know, what are the words or, or short phrases that describe you when you're really in your sweet spot, really in your zone? you know, however you want to think about that in flow. Some people would say in flow, you know, like how are you when you're really at your best? The second big question is what are the routines in four domains, physical, mental, relational, and spiritual that would make it more likely that you would show up at your best, right? You know, so what routines do you need in your life to make it more likely? And then finally, what are the outcomes that you would hope or expect to see in your life if you were regularly showing up at your best? And those outcomes come in three big arenas of life, your life at home, your life at work, and your life in the broader community, right? And I think I talk in Overworked and Overwhelmed, the whole book, there you go, you've got the Life GPS worksheet on the screen there, excellent. So that's what it looks like. And so that 
completed worksheet becomes a reference point, right? These days I say, you know, we all use Google Maps, at least we did when we drove, <laughs> drove around. Google Maps, you know, when you enter an address or a, de- a destination in Google Maps, there's a latitude and a longitude associated with that. And those 24, 28, however many there are satellites up in the geosynchronous orbit that make up the GPS system, the real GPS system, they're calibrating and iterating back and forth through the magic of science, you know, the technology with your phone, you know, and there's, there's a, a latitude and a longitude coordinate in this thing. There's a latitude and a longitude associated with where you're going. Iterate, 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 iterate back and forth to get you where you're going. And I think the life GPS the same way. If I can identify and really be clear about how I'm at my best, that becomes a reference point, you know, and it's like, I can ask myself on any given day or week, how am I doing? Am I showing up calm, clear, focused, engaged, and enthusiastic? You know, those are some of my words. And if I am great, keep on going. If I'm not, what adjustments do I need to make? You take a wrong turn with Google Map, readjusting your route, right? So what do I need to do to readjust my route in the physical, mental, relational, spiritual domains that would make it more likely that I'll show up at my best right now this week? And then I can also check the outcomes. You know, am I really generating in a broad level, kind of notionally, the outcomes that I hope or expect to see in these arenas of life at home with my family and close friends at work, whatever that is, and however I think about community. So the, the Overworked and Overwhelmed book, I break it down chapter by chapter, basically, how to put that together. I love the correlation and the connectivity around, you know, we talk a lot, Scott, around reframing success, that so many people reach a point where they realize they've been going after the wrong definition of success. Yeah. Right. And they recognize that, wow, why didn't I focus on significance during my journey versus thinking it was an end outcome that I was going to start one day, you know, and often people get so focused on specifically with the audience that we speak to and that are listening in today. So many of us get so focused on work and forget about the home and community as you define it. Yeah. You know, we define it as relationships, community, and overall life. And so often we hit a barrier. We run into a wall, either physically, emotionally, spiritually, or financially, and recognize that there's what just happened. How did I get here? You know, and how did I lose this? And why did, do I feel disconnected here? And the relational component, we talk a lot about around your 3 a.m. friends. There's no, we all need people to turn to in our darkest hour, in our most challenging circumstances, whether that's advisors or whether that's friends that you can pick up the phone and say, they're not going to judge you by your title, but by your character and your heart and who you are, right? Mm -hmm. So many of these things are critical during times like these. And I I think when it comes into leadership mindset, to be frank, helping our listeners take pause, helping our listeners, including myself, your host, take pause, right? How am I doing in these areas and reflecting and having a check-in system? You know, I have this life GPS. Personally, I have it filled out and in the back of my full focus planner Mm -hmm. so that I can, and then I have little note cards, right? That says, and I can tell you, When I grill out, when I do yoga, when I play basketball with my kids, which are all on my note cards, 
I come out of the weekend or that day feeling better about life. Surprise, surprise, right? Mm -hmm. But some of those things were identified here of where am I and how am I at my best? What does it feel like? What am I experiencing? You know, again, I thank you for helping keep me on the track that I've been on. But I'll tell you, I get off track often, like many of us. We all do. We all do. And that's that's life. It's not straight up and to the right. There's zigs and zags along the way. I, I have to ask you a question, if that's okay. Sure. So your three things over the weekend, I grill out, I do yoga, I play basketball with my kids. I've heard yoga and I've heard basketball with my kids before. I've not heard grilling out. I love to cook. Tell me about the grilling out and how that's the high leverage thing for you. Why is that? Yeah, so I, I love to cook. I love to personally prepare a meal. I love the creativity that goes into it. I love the time, the disconnect that happens uh-huh. from our phone, from other distractions when you cook, whether it's grilling out, which I love to do, or making a pasta dish or creating the next fancy taco setup for the family. So I get a lot of a positive emotional feeling and energy when I prepare a meal for friends. Yeah. You know, whether I'm grilling out and preparing for friends or family to come over. And there's nothing like the first few bites from everyone in the Uh, response that you get. You know you nailed it. Yeah. Or when you're like, "Mm, this isn't as good as it will be next time, right? Uh That's one of the things I need to do at my best. The other big one for me is connecting with a few of my personal friends throughout the work week, whether that's a 6.30 call or in the a.m. or a 9 p.m. call with a few friends just to check in. How are we doing? Laugh a little bit, share what's going on. If I don't do that, you know, I'm an extroverted being and I, I miss that connection. Yeah, yeah. So I totally get it. The grilling out, I would point out to everybody listening, is what I would call at least a double dip routine, probably triple dip, maybe. Uh, So you're definitely getting relational benefits from that, right? Clearly, the way you described it, you're getting mental benefits from that, right? Because it gives your brain space to just rest and think. And I'm sure you have better performance on Monday because you grilled out on Saturday or Sunday, right? I could almost, I'd be interested in your reaction to this, when I talk about spiritual routines with folks, I quite often start with they're the routines that keep you connected with uh, your answer to this question. Why am I here on this earth in this life? Why am I here? You know, so they're routines that help you connect with your purpose. And so when you're serving up a really delicious meal that you've prepared to your family or your friends, I imagine there's a spiritual connection there, isn't there? Yeah, I would say so because it brings taste and flavor palettes. And, you know, those that love to cook know what it's like to try to create the perfect meal. Yeah. And there's a lot that goes into it from nature, right? Yeah. You know, so I I can certainly see that. Well, and then the obvious point is physical, right? Because physical is not just about exercise, but it's also about what you put in your body. Yeah, Yeah. right. And so you're taking care to serve up a really healthy delicious meal. There's a physical aspect of that. So it's a quadruple dip. There you go. I found (laughs) a very high leverage routine is what I'm trying to say. You're getting a lot of lift. Yeah. You're grilling. There's friends of mine and clients of mine that I know feel that way about exercise. Yeah, sure. I admire them. 
I wish that were that same feeling where if they don't exercise for two days, they're just not the same. Right. I applaud. I celebrate that. That's not me. I have to work extra hard to get on the Peloton or extra hard to lift some weights or take an extra long walk. There are many friends and clients are like, man, when I get out of that exercise rhythm, you know, it just doesn't seem right. I just cannot be at my best. And then I say, well, make sure you write that in your life GPS, write that in your note cards. Yeah. Because you've got to stay in tune with that to be the leader that's at the peak where all eyes are on, right? You know, that's the way we feel. The pressure's on, the responsibilities rest on these shoulders. I know many of us that listen to this know that that's some distortions, that's some distorted thinking because we have a team for a reason. We have people around us for a reason that bring lots of skills and talents, but there's still a tremendous amount of burden on the owner, on the CEO. So we've got to prepare ourselves physically, spiritually, mental, and relationally as Scott defines in the Life GPS, Scott and Diane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have defined here that, you know, there's a reason why we're having this conversation kicking off the new year to get us right, to get us prepared, knowing that we're going to fall off track. But when you have this, you can level set and get back on track quicker. Scott, as you coach high performing teams and high performing executives and speak to high performing audiences, what are some of the greatest distortions and struggles that you see leaders facing and wrestling with? Hmm. Distortion is an interesting way to frame it, right? I think one of the biggest is that if I work harder, longer, I'm going to get more done and I'm going to have more impact. I think that's almost exactly the opposite (laughs) is the case. I mean, and I think I've seen that a lot this year, especially, you know, with the pandemic and we're all doing what you and I are doing right now. We're on Zoom, you know, or WebEx or Teams or whatever all day long. And so I've got so many clients, I've had so many clients this year who their day starts in their home office at 7 or 7.30 in the morning and it ends at 6 or 6.30 at night and they'll go and maybe grab dinner with their family for an hour or hour and a half. And then they're back on the email until 1130 or 12 and they get up and do it again the next day. And not surprisingly, they're burned out. And that's not a news flash coming from me. I mean, we re- we've read a lot about that this year. More of that isn't going to solve it, you know? And so the distortion, you get sucked in, you know, you get sucked into that mode and you lose sight of what actually works for you. And so a lot of what I've been trying to do with my clients this year, both individually, you know, individual executives that I work with, as well as the groups that I coach or the audiences that I speak to via Zoom, is to help them identify, and I talk about this a lot in Overworked and Overwhelmed, things that are relatively easy to do that would make a difference. You know, routines that are relatively easy to do that would make a difference and them having more energy, being healthier, having better relationships, getting more done, really. And one of my favorite mentors in my life, there's actually two guys who developed this together, Ron Heifetz and Marty Lenski from Harvard. And they are proponents and really the 
thought leaders in a school of leadership called adaptive leadership, you know, where the leader's job is to help the group adapt to the work. And I actually read a blog post about that last week. There's never been a year where adaptive leadership was called for more than 2020. We've all had to adapt so much. And Ron makes the point that leaders can either be on the dance floor, or they can be on the balcony. And it's important as a leader, and really, I think just as a person, but let's talk about leaders, to alternate your perspective between the two. Because if you're on a on the dance floor, really all you see is what's immediately around you and in front of you. It's just dancing as fast as I can. But from that balcony perspective, I can see the patterns. I can see what's working, what's not working, and do some self-observation, do some observation of the system that I'm working within, and where do we need to push and pull? Where do we need to adjust? Who needs support? Who needs a little bit of a kick in the butt? You know, whatever it is, right? And when you're working 6.30 or 7.30 in the morning till 6.30 at night, and then two or three more hours of email at night, there's not a lot of time for the balcony perspective. And that's really where the juice comes from. You know, that's where the real breakthroughs come from. And you need to take care of yourself physically, mentally, relationally, and spiritually to get up there, you know, as a leader, to get up on the balcony. And that's where the value is added from leaders. I mean, you know, it's it's not in doing more work themselves individually. It's really in helping others define what's the highest and best use of our time and attention because there's so many things we could do, we can't get to all of that. So what's going to have the most impact? What's going to have the most leverage? What conditions do we need to put in place to make sure that everybody's really at their best and that we're focused on the things that matter most? I know Michael Hyatt talks about this stuff a lot. but We talk often that when you have an organization where people in the organization feel valued, heard, and understood, you tend to get the most innovative, the greatest return on investment. You know, you add in gender equity, racial equity, those organizations that are really investing that into those important topics and helping their people feel that they're trusted, that their voice is heard, enables them to show up at their best, right? And I find that many leaders that are grinding it out on their own aren't taking the perspective, there's a reason why you hired all these talented people. And there's a reason why they may not be giving their all because, you know, there's a point in time, it's like, we're just going to back up and let you do it all. And I will share to those listening that have been on my teams at certain seasons, I'm one too, right? I have to constantly take a check to say, am I trusting too much in myself? Am I trusting as a man of faith in my Lord or in my people, or is it all about me, right? Is it become selfish and ego driven, you know, and that's a gut check for us leaders that feel like the buck stops here, the opportunities on our shoulders. No, it's really, you know, you're given the opportunity to engage other humans in the body of work that you do, whether in manufacturing services, distribution, healthcare, IT, et cetera. And we need to help bring out their greatest good so that they naturally take some of, continue to take that burden off of you, the leader listening to this. And the more you can enable them to do so, the more effective you'll be and be able to spend more time in the balcony. Yeah. The other thing I would add to that, and I completely agree with everything you just said, and to amplify the point a little bit, one of the things I write a lot about it 
especially in, uh, I, there's another book that I've written called The Next Level, and I write about this a lot in The Next Level, and I, I write a lot about it on the blog posts that I do most every week. If you're a leader, you control the weather. However you show up as a leader is completely predictive of how your team's going to show up, right? And so you can ask yourself, well, how do I need my team to show up? Well, I need them to show up engaged and enthusiastic and excited and feeling supported. And okay, good. If I need them to show up that way, then I need to be that way. Wow. (laughs) Because they're going to reflect me. We all know that intuitively. And one of the ways that you, we know it from experience, which leads to intuition, I guess. You can ask yourself, I do this all the time with groups that I'm talking with. Think of the best boss you've ever had. I would encourage your your listeners to do that right now. Just on, we'll, Mike and I'll be quiet for five seconds. Think of the best boss you've ever had and why that person was the best boss. And we'll give you five seconds to think about that. Okay, I counted to five. And you probably have words in your head like, they were supportive, they coached me, they provided perspective, they gave information, they had my back, so forth and so on, right? And then if you think about, okay, was that also the best team that you've ever worked on? Most people are going to say, yeah, that was probably the best team I've ever been a part of too. Leaders control the weather, right? You can do the opposite exercise, which is think of the the worst boss you've ever had, which I won't encourage people to do right now because it's a downer. But sometime when you can pull yourself out of it, think of the worst boss you've ever had and why that was the case. It's everything that's the opposite of what you just thought of, right? And so you want to be the best boss. I mean, everybody listening here wants, you want to be that answer for somebody sometime when somebody like Scott or Mike in the future says, think of the best boss you've ever had. You want them to think of you, okay? How do you need to be to create the weather that leads people to five years from now to say you're the best boss they ever had? And now we're back to life GPS. (laughs) And how are you at your best and the routines that help you and the outcomes you're trying to create and that level of, I talk about this in Overworked and Overwhelm, awareness and intention. You know, that's my definition of mindfulness is it's awareness out in the world and what's going on around me and awareness intrinsically, internally. What's my reaction or response to what's going on around me? Get a handle on that, then I can be intentional about what I'm going to do or not going to do next, right? What kind of weather am I trying to create? How do I need to show up? I would encourage our listeners. So in our show notes, we'll have links to Overworked and Overwhelmed, the Mindfulness Alternative. We will also include a link to the next level, what insiders know about executive success. We'll also, Scott, if you don't mind, are you okay if we link to the Life GPS for the listeners? Totally good with that. You may also want to, since I've mentioned the blog a number of times already, that a lot of the things we're talking about, Mike, I write about pretty much week in and week out on the blog. And so if you want to give them a blog link, I think that would be useful as well. And what I would encourage you to do when you get these resources and you go to the show notes is start filling out the Life GPS and start asking questions, right? Send that to us. We would love to hear from you. Connect with Scott's resources and engage. This is why we're here, right? We want to help you set the weather, Mm -hmm. set the tone in your organization. Because when you do that, it creates healthier and more impactful cultures, which create more engaged, more fulfilled, 
and more joy-filled humans around you, right? And what better way to be a talent magnet leader and a talent magnet organization than to have that be the outputs? And Scott, in a world that's competitive for business and talent, you know this. I mean, you've probably sat in these organizations like there's not anyone in this room who would ever leave here because of how well they're leading. We've both been in rooms and been in board meetings and been in presentations where you're like, I don't know how anyone's even still here right? <laughs> yeah. because the toxicity level is so high and everybody's energy just is drained out of them. When you are working with a client and they say, Scott, I've reached my end, I'm ready to change. Hmm. What do you challenge them back with? And then what are some of the first steps you encourage them to take? That's a really great question. It reminds me of a, of a really terrible coaching joke. How many coaches does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that, that client that you're describing, so, uh, you know, it'd be nice if every client was, says, I'm ready to change. They're not always ready to change. For the ones that are, I... Everybody works in a system. That's the first thing I, I'm thinking about is we work in a system of other people. And when you change one element of a system, it affects the entire system. You know, leaders control the weather again, right? And so I want them to engage with their colleagues on whatever changes they're trying to make. I want them to be, I've got a couple of new coaching clients that I've started with recently where we do the feedback, you know, from colleagues and there's things that the colleagues appreciate about that client and things that the colleague could change to be more effective. The first thing I want my client to do is go back to all those people that participated in the feedback and say three things. Thank you for the feedback. It was really valuable. I learned a lot. Second thing is I heard a few things that I was really encouraged about. You know, you, you think I'm a strategic uh, leader and that I, I bring a lot of vision to the table and you think I hire and train up great people. That's great. I was really encouraged to hear that. I'm glad you see it. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep doing those things uh, for the good of the company and for the organization. And I also heard a couple of things that I need to pay, pay more attention to that you think I need to pay more attention to. You know, I maybe hanging on to stuff I shouldn't be hanging on to, or maybe I'm not partnering with my colleagues as in the way that's going to be most helpful to all of us. And so I want your help. I want your help on that. I want to come and get your ideas on simple things I could do that would make a difference, things that are relatively easy to do that would make a difference on colleague engagement, on, on not hanging on to stuff I shouldn't be hanging on to, whatever it is, right? And the reason I ask them to do it that way, one, there's a lot of reasons. One is I want them to put it out there. There's an accountability measure to that, which makes it much more likely they're going to change. Two, there's a role modeling aspect to that the level of transparency that they're exhibiting by going back to, because the feedback providers know all that stuff already. They're the ones who provided the feedback. I mean, that's not news to them, but to have it come back and say, I heard you and that I have enough self-confidence to acknowledge that I'm not perfect and that I'm just one of many, many, many people in the human race that can improve. That's a great thing. The other reason I do it is we're dealing with two things. We're dealing with behavioral change on the part of the leader, and we're dealing with perception change on the part of the people the leader works with, right? 
And what I've learned over the years in coaching is perception change almost always lags behavioral change, meaning that the leader can change their behavior pretty legitimately and in a meaningful way. You know, I'm going to be more collaborative colleague, you know, do a better job of colleague engagement. Okay, great. And for the next six months, I do a better job of that. But if there's a six-year story that I'm not that guy, then people aren't suddenly going to think I'm that guy, you know, in three to six months. However, we can accelerate the perception change by engaging them and saying, hey, is this making a difference? Yeah, it is. What difference is it making for you? And by helping them articulate legitimately, we're not trying to manipulate it, but just helping them articulate, yeah, this is the difference it's making and I see you changing. Now the whole system is improved, <laughs> not just the leader, right? And so we're really trying to operate in a couple of domains, you know, the the leader's own little cycle and circle, but that bigger cycle and circle that the leader operates within, you know, that system of people. Yeah, I love that. The impact that we can have by doing that, right? If we would shed the facade that so many try to hold, which really becomes the biggest burden in life. I mean, the reality is our people know how we're operating. And if we would just get into this rhythm of constant communication about how we can continue to serve, where can I improve? How can I show up at my best for you? What does that look like? What is your best? What are your goals? Here's mine. I'd love to share so that we can align. And this constant pulse feedback is what builds us and makes us stronger. And very few people have ever lived in a culture like that. They've not worked in an environment like that. So when you do it, all of a sudden they go, you mean you actually really care so much about me that you're willing to share so much about you to help us work more effectively together? Really powerful move. It's a powerful thing. Yeah. Very powerful thing. Well, that's a, a great next step for all of us, right? I think that's some awesome homework for us all to focus a little bit on. And Scott, I'm sure you can attest to this, that those who have taken 360s know that first time, the first experience always stings a little bit, right? Yeah, that that happened to me. (laughs) You know, maybe some feelings are hurt, but when you really step back, feedback is a gift. Mm -hmm. Feedback is something that be thankful that people are willing to give you feedback because if yeah, they're giving yeah. you feedback, their heart is to help you improve. Yeah, and the best gifts are the ones you unwrap. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, yeah, feedback is a gift that you got to unwrap it and play with it and work with it, you know, yeah. Well, Scott, is there anything else you'd like to leave our audience and community with as we... Uh, one, maybe one thought, and we haven't really talked about this much today, Mike, but it's a big theme that I write about in Overworked and Overwhelmed that I think it's a really important theme for the year we're coming out of. And it's that everything is temporary. <laughs> Whether everything is really great right now or everything is really sh- sucky right now, I almost said, you know, drop the, the S-bomb there. It's temporary. It's going to change. And that's the biggest thing I've learned from having MS. I can wake up one day and feel really just not so good. And in my early days of MS, oh my gosh, I'm going to feel like this for the rest of my life. It's going to be terrible. And then usually by a lot of times by lunchtime, I'd feel like, feel pretty good. Okay, so that lasted a couple of hours. That was temporary. And 
I understand that there are things that aren't temporary. You know, like my father passed away a couple of years ago. I mean, I, I understand that aspect of it. But most of the day-to-day things in our lives are temporary. And so this year, as bad as it's been, it's temporary. It's not the rest of our lives. And, and then so much of it is, what do we do? What do we want to do to make things better and, and control what you can control, right? That's not any great big word of wisdom there at the end, but it's just something I really think about a lot and have hope. That's where I'll end for sure is my, one of my favorite definitions of leadership comes from, I'm told or I've read Napoleon who said that a leader has two jobs. The, def- the first is to define reality and the second is to offer hope. And again, like 2020 has never been, never been a year where adaptive leadership has been called for more. I think it's also a year when that juxtaposition of reality and hope has never been more vital and critical and in our face, like you said. So that's our work. If you're a leader, if we're leaders, that's our work is to help people address the current reality, but to have hope that and grounded reasons for hope that we can improve upon the current state. And I have every belief and faith that we can, we have, and we will. Scott, thank you so much for your influence on me. I'm very glad to my advisor, David Kynell, who handed me your book. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm uh, very appreciative of you and your and your vulnerability, your transparency to get your learnings out into the world to help impact leaders. It's uh, a real breath of fresh air to be surrounded by content and resources and coaches and guides like yourself. So, well, back at you. I, we don't have, we just met today kind of face to face, but I feel a kindred spirit with you. So, much appreciated. And to our audience, we're here. We're excited to help you through this journey that we're getting ready to take in 2021. We hope this is a great kickoff episode to let you know that these are the discussions that matter. These are the moments of reflection that make a powerful impact for each and every one of us in this community and to our broader audience. So the Talent Magnet Institute is honored to be with you on this journey, and we look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook please communicate by using hashtag talent magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. 
Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.